Welcome to Wormhole Waffles, a Stargate podcast. Welcome to Wormhole Waffles. I'm your host, Chelsea, and with me is my co-host, Arzu. Hello. Last week, we talked about four episodes of Stargate Infinity, which is always a wild ride. And today, we're going to be talking about episodes 13 and 14 of SG-1, Spirits and Touchstone. Spirits premiered on October 23rd, 1998, was written by Tor Alexander of Valenza and directed by Martin Wood. Touchstone premiered on October 30th, 1998, and was written by Sam Egan and directed by Brad Turner. So we start off with our only representation of Native Americans in Stargate that I can remember. And then we continue with another look at how Earthlings can screw stuff up. Arzu, would you like to summarize these two episodes? Okay, so in Spirits, they uh, go through the Stargate and discover that there is a Native American group living on this other world that are descendant from Native Americans, obviously from North America, but have been there for quite some time. They have uh, advanced their technology. And SG-11, I think. Was it SG-11? So one of the other SG nothing. groups yeah. <laughs> went over there a few days ago and have gone missing. So they go to find them and realize that something's going on. Ooh. <laughs> Second episode, Touchstone. Sam wants to check in on this other world that she's working on. She's got some tools there, some doohickeys, I think is what they call it. She's got some tools <laughs> so over Jack there. Says, yeah. Yeah. She goes to check on it, realizes that their ecosystem is completely messed up. Their weather is really abnormal. And they come back to Earth and realize that the same thing is happening. And this is attributed to the absence of what the people on that world call the touchstone, mm-hmm. which is messing with the climate. So somebody has taken it mm-hmm. and they need to figure out who it was. Yep. All right. So let's start with our quote reveal. Last week, I gave you the quote. Aliens are always poking me full of holes. And your guess was, quote, 100% this is Jack. I don't know the context. They probably stabbed him. And you're pretty right. Yeah. They they shot him instead of stabbed him. But (laughs) But yeah, yeah. pretty much the exact right context. And it is Jack saying it. I feel like we need to start a count for how many times Jack gets impaled on something. (laughs) This seems to be a theme. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that does happen a lot with the, um, what was that, that one episode, Message in a Bottle? Yeah. Episode seven. Was that the one with the thing stabbed the in the chest and like stapled into the wall? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun times. Fun times. <laughs> okay, so for the first episode, Spirits, I think the writer might be Hispanic. I It was hard to find any information about him, but... I yeah so I don't know for sure if he has any connections to Native American culture or not we did get some obviously Native American actors so at least it wasn't like white people that they're trying to pass off as Native American (laughs) right white white people that they left in the sun for a little bit or something yeah and I actually recognized the elders so they're one of them is the actor is Byron Chiefboone and he played uh, Tahaki in Twilight. <laughs> he was also in a few episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger and MacGyver. And then okay. Chief Leonard George plays the other elder. He was also in some like older stuff like MacGyver. And I remember him from the movie Man of the House. 
uh, with Jonathan Taylor, Tho- Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And like looking back, it is highly racist. Well, um, did not realize that at the time. I loved that movie as a kid because it's like this kid, you know, his dad died when he was young and he marries and he hates his new stepdad and they're trying to bond. But instead of like joining the Boy Scouts, they join this group that's like Native American based, except that everybody in the group is white. So they're like wearing Native American clothing and doing ceremonial dances and stuff like that, except that they're all white. No. Yeah. (laughs) No, no. That's a no. Yeah. (laughs) I loved that movie as a kid, but now I'm like, oh no, they really did not age. (laughs) That's a hard pass for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So you might recognize some of the actors in this show. Speaking of actors in this show, the guy who plays Zales, which we'll get to, mm-hmm. is in eight different episodes of SG-1 throughout the series. But usually in like heavy alien makeup, so you can't tell who it is. But those of you who know the rest of season two, we're soon going to get to an episode called 1969. And he plays Michael in that one. And I like did not recognize him in this episode because of his face makeup. Because it's gross face makeup. <laughs> and then Christina Cox who plays Takaya is in an episode of in season five of SG one and also in Atlantis. And both of those actors are, are some of those actors who are like in one episode of every show, you know, it's like every crime show or every medical show, every if whatever show. One thing I know about <laughs> Toronto and Vancouver actors, mm-hmm. they're going to work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it is. You will do the crime procedural. You will, if you're in Toronto, you will do your Murdoch Mysteries episode. If you're in Vancouver, mm-hmm. you will do the sci-fi stuff. You will do the car insurance commercials. Like, there's one <laughs> thing I know about Canadian actors. They work. Yeah. Nobody works like a Canadian actor. Yep. They have really long lists. They're not, they're not waiting for, like, their big break. They are going to get those syndicated TV checks. Yep. They're going to put their kids through school. They're going to buy a car. They're going to buy a house. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, in this episode... Really, we start with, so um, one of the SG teams, I also don't remember which SG team it was exactly, is... It was 11, because I thought it was funny that they went so high. Oh, maybe. They originally started with, I think, nine, and then expanded that, so they probably have upwards of two dozen, or not two dozen, like more than a dozen at this yeah. point. Um, so the this SG team has been uh, mining what they call trinium, And they have disappeared. And so at this point, they don't even realize that there is a native people on this planet. Mm -hmm. And um, so then when SG-1 goes to investigate, they make contact with one of the, I guess we should we still call them Native Americans if they're not on Earth or just say the indigenous people? I don't know. Honestly, because when we say like indigenous here, we mean indigenous to wherever we're talking about. Right. Whereas they're these not, people they're were... not indigenous to that planet. They were taken to that planet. Right. Yeah. Well, Native American is just coded, for ease but... of reference, yeah. I guess we'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. Acknowledging that these people have spent centuries living somewhere else yeah. that is yeah. not America. Yeah, definitely a, about a thousand years because um 
one of the people references how they drove the gold from that planet a millennia ago. Yeah. So it's been quite a while. And so these these Native Americans are based on the Salish people. And so those are indigenous people to American and Canadian Pacific Northwest. So and, Vancouver. <laughs> and um, yeah, the regions there they occupy are British Columbia, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Montana. There we go. So, yeah. And they have been around for at least 6,000 years. So it is totally plausible that some people were taken from there um, and taken to another planet. And so, yeah, they, they're still, they're still around. They have like four different groups of people in 23 languages and I did look up to see like whether or not they actually use totem poles because we see a totem pole in this episode mm -hmm. that has trinium um, kind of welded onto it or I, I, mean, I don't know the technique I don't know how you get metal on a totem pole so <laughs> however I mean, you do that you could set it right like click yeah it into place. I don't know I don't know anything about metal working well, it's like anyway. metal into wood right yeah. I don't know what the terminology for that is. That neither do I. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the totem poles says were less common in Salish, Salish culture than in their neighbors. And it wasn't really until the, the 20th century that the totem pole tradition was adopted. And even then, they were mostly known for carving posts on buildings rather than freestanding totem poles. So they have some, but they're not, like, super prevalent. So it's interesting that they decided to use a totem pole in the episode. I feel like that speaks more to, like, a stereotype of Native American culture, since the Salish people didn't really start making those until the 20th century. I feel like this but. is just what a largely white production team thought yeah. Native yeah. Americans would <laughs> have. Yeah. I mean, it did serve as a really good like talking point of oh there used to be gold on this planet because here's a carving of a Jaffa and you know the people were saved by Zales who was depicted as a raven you know so you you're calling it a carving of a Jaffa which is what it is but because I was blanking on all the words when I was taking notes I said the statue has a teal head thing <laughs> I mean technically I'm, I'm correct technically <laughs> but what a mess <laughs> i mean other i didn't really necessarily find anything like offensive in this episode but i'm also obviously not native american so i'm not either full disclaimer <laughs> but i feel like this is right i don't know what the right answer is yeah to this but I feel like by the end of it, it was kind of running into that wall of we're so well-intentioned that we're becoming a little condescending. Mm. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like Daniel, I don't know who he was talking to. I don't remember anymore. But he was like, they value the natural world far more than technology. I'm like, there is, I think, probably maybe some truth to that in that in like a respect for nature kind of way. Mm -hmm. But this whole conversation that y'all are having right now Sounds extremely condescending. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if it's just because this conversation was being had without a single indigenous person in the room. Yeah. Like, we've just got a lot of white people speaking for them. 
Yeah, and kind of generally talking about how besides implementing Trinium in their artwork and in some basic like hunting weaponry that they their culture and society hasn't evolved any since they were taken from Earth. Well, I did think about that because at first I was like, um, I don't know about that. But then at the end when the, the like the spirits who are essentially alien beings who have just adopted the form of their spirits to sort of mm-hmm. guide them in a post gold existence. They said something about like how they had done that to sort of ensure that they're able to still sort of live mm-hmm. the in way harmony. they did have. Yeah. And they just kind of didn't want to interrupt that. But I'm almost wondering if in, in doing that, they kind of implemented this rigidity that the people mm. couldn't shake. Right. So they couldn't progress past that because how do I say this without offending everybody? Because the manifestation of this faith that they have is very tangible, very real and very present, like in their town. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have that kind of detachment Mm -hmm. that anybody else's faith would. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're, God, your spirit, whatever, is not watching over thousands of people. It's watching over, like, just your group of people. Yeah. It's extremely present. Right. So they don't have that freedom to move beyond it. Right. As well-intentioned as as the spirits were. Wow. So I just set this show on fire and offended everybody. (laughs) I see what what you're getting at, though, because it's kind of like... I mean, the these Salish people that are on this other planet are completely unaware of the fact that they originally came from earth and that the spirits who protect them and help them are other like sentient beings. Yeah. Like if like you're like their God or spirit is not, does not have the same level of divine detachment. Right. That a God or spirit would on earth. They're like right there. Right. They're next door. Right. And so it makes me wonder if their culture is going to change now that they know that their spirits are not just animals who can do incredible things, but like other people, like other beings that have an entire culture of their own and they've just been pretending to be these spirits. Yeah. Like I imagine it would that and them coming to the SGC and kind of seeing it and get, gaining a bit of context for where they came from. I can't imagine that they go back and just pick things up where they left off. Right. So, I mean, I'm not sure. It's not like if the SGC intentionally went in there to shake up their culture. Just no, I don't think they intended to, but yeah, you can't help it. I feel like that tends to happen. Like that's a pretty common theme for them to go to another planet and encounter people who don't know how to use the Stargate and whether intentionally or not, ends up changing some part of their society because of it. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Like, even just by teaching the locals how to use the Stargate in the first place, or at least sharing the information of the potential for what it could do, mm-hmm. could fundamentally change, like, how a culture perceives it and uses it. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I don't. I guess my point is like uh, I'm not really sure if this is offensive, but uh, it's certainly an interesting examination of the it, kinds of effects that the SGC has on other planets. 
I kind of land on it could have been worse, but it could have been better. <laughs> yeah. It's like actually all things considered for 1998. Yeah. It like, wasn't terrible. It's actually somewhat self-aware when when yeah. they're not when they're not addressing the Salish directly. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of talking about them. It's remarkably self-aware for mm-hmm. an American TV show. Yeah. When the SGC is like, we just want to do a small exploratory operation to look into <laughs> mining there. And Jack and Daniel and Sam are like, excuse you? You want to do a what now? Like, yeah. world history is not a yeah. thing. That's okay. true. I Yeah, I do really commend them for speaking out and being like, we can't just go mining, you know, where these native people live if they don't want us to that's and they're making like a very clear point of like yeah it, it's not just like this is like what we did it's like these are the same people we did that to yeah like the exact same people so we're not yeah. we're not playing this game again yeah and then the the spirits to the um i don't remember what the people were actually called the aliens mm-hmm. were essentially I'm not sure that we get a name for them so the spirits yeah. Like their whole deal was that they were going to defend the Salish people until they were safe. And they're like, well, they're not safe with you because you lied to them and you wanted to exploit their resources and mm-hmm. all of that. So they're extremely like aware of that too. So the fact that the show is calling this out on multiple fronts. Yeah. I mean, I don't trust the SGC and the military to not start war criming again, but it didn't <laughs> war crime this time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it is interesting to note that it helps that the people are migratory so that they're not always near the stargate or maybe even never near the stargate so i'm like okay finally like people who don't live directly in front of the thing that brings bad people (laughs) oh in terms of like respecting their culture though i did think that Daniel explaining the types of um, traditions that they could expect to see to be a condescending because he's telling Sam like even if you know we may have to do some kind of ceremonial ceremonial dance in order to talk to the spirits and even if you think something that we need to do is ridiculous you should just do it anyway and I'm like <sighs> okay but but yes it's condescending but you know that made me think of. Hmm. So I recently watched the show Bones, which you know because I won't stop talking about it. Yeah. And the main character in that show is a forensic anthropologist, but an anthropologist primarily. So her point of reference for anything is like a small tribe somewhere does a thing. But the way she talks about it, I'm like, they probably don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. But she is speaking of a historical practice, like it's still happening. Mm -hmm. And Daniel's doing the same thing. So I'm like, this might not just, this might just be an anthropologist thing. Yeah. Where they're just so stuck in this like three or four centuries ago idea of what a group does Mm -hmm. that they don't account for several centuries of evolution. And they're just like, wait a minute, we evolved. So did they. So that might just be an anthropologist thing. Yeah. Because I was just thinking, like, instead of warning Sam that they might have to do something that was, like, quote, ridiculous, he could have just started by asking Tonane, how do you contact the spirits? 
imagine asking the guy in question what his plan is instead of just assuming he's going to make you dance. Yeah. <laughs> I do have questions about the spirit's ability to make things disappear. Okay. <laughs> this in terms of like, so they like bring their arms up in front of them and like hit them together and make things disappear. And so it makes me wonder if they're like, sending things to like a pocket dimension because they're able to no matter where the people were originally located they're able to be relocated anywhere else um, i don't know i honestly not think about it and there's not like a limit to how many people they can make disappear so yeah i'm just like <laughs> but where do they go <laughs> and are they like aware I don't think they are, but yeah, I would just, I wish it was explained a little bit more. Let's talk about these disappearing people for a second. Okay. Specifically when Sam disappears. Okay. Because people have been disappearing left, right, and center, and obviously it's bothering everyone. Yeah. It's bothering Jack because people are disappearing. Sam disappears and the man <laughs> draws his gun immediately. Yep. I'm like, you are so much more upset now than you were over anything else yep <laughs> i noticed and that colonel o'neill you are never beating the allegations like <laughs> he's just he's a man in love yep i'm just saying yep <laughs> he's just like my girl disappeared he's like oh Gotta no shoot something general hammond's gone oh well let me go about <laughs> the next three or four hours of my life and then Sam just and he's immediately got the guns drawn, pointed at the door, like, you know, ready to fight. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Get you a guy who, you know. Yep. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Oh, and we can also add the spirits to the list of people who can open a Stargate wormhole without a dialing device. Yes. So far, we've seen the Nox do that. Um, I think those are the only two we've seen do that so far. We'll eventually see one or two others do it later on. So the key to opening the Stargate without a dial-home device is a really weird aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. Can't think of Basically. <laughs> you either got to put moss in your hair or just cut little holes on your cheeks. That was so <laughs> gross. That was so was gross. Weird. They had like gills on their yeah. face and they were like flapping and it was like it was like juicy underneath. <laughs> like, what am I looking at? It makes me wonder if they're like aquatic based. Maybe. I mean they do live near a river at least. I don't know if they live I wonder if they live like in the river. Little fish people. But then again, I don't think they're like maxi dress silver gowns would really work well in the water but just big elsa energy <laughs> yeah some i don't know i feel like sometimes like the creators are like we need them to look weird and different but within budget <laughs> so let <laughs> just get some kids from the makeup school who are like step <laughs> aside i got a thesis to pro like a thesis to put together and then they get the little gills <laughs> yeah and then otherwise, the only thing to do is, like, slick back their hair and give them these weird maxi dresses. I When we get to the next episode, I have some thoughts on the costumes okay. <laughs> along this line. <laughs> I was thinking that, so, the um, element that they're 
the material that they're mining for is called trinium. And to me, it seems like it's remarkably like vibranium. Yeah. Vibranium, it's Beskar, it's unobtainium. Like yep. sci-fi will always have that one all-purpose <laughs> yeah. metal. Yep. It's just cooler than all the other metals. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it doesn't come up very much. It definitely comes up one or two more times, but it doesn't necessarily become like a thing that they have a lot of. And so, which I mean I guess makes sense because like these Salish people don't necessarily don't want them coming to mine for it. Right. So I guess like the SGC like takes little amounts where they can get it here and there. So it never really becomes a thing on earth. Which is probably just as well. Cause yeah, no, for sure. Need like, yeah. Best scar kicking around. Yeah. Oh, another Sam Jack moment that I thought was really cute was so Jack is shot in the arm with an arrow, which was really thick by the way, which did, must have done some real damage. But um, so he has to stay behind in, in the infirmary while the rest of SG-1 goes on this mission. And he is so proud of Sam for being the new temporary leader of SG-1. It was adorable. I had tears in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I was having a meltdown. <laughs> He's just, I just, <laughs> their dynamic is so cute he's so proud of her <laughs> yeah and she was really pleased and so yeah it was just a nice moment just, the, the way he says Sam I'm like aww it's <laughs> so cute clearly you're trying to make this a very serious thing and I'm like my no. ship no no it's fine I was hoping to like prod you into some more dreamy eyes <laughs> sometimes she'll call him sir and sometimes she'll call him colonel and i'm like oh you should call him jack more <laughs> yeah she doesn't really unless they're like in a non-work related scenario i know but it's just like oh <laughs> yeah because okay because like if if i was writing this <laughs> if i was writing the show in like the emotional moments, uh-huh. emotionally fraught moments, she would call him Jack, and that's how you know <gasps> feelings, right? Yeah, yeah. When she's really stressed out, that's probably why I'm not writing this show. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, the romance would be much more obvious if you were. It would. It. They would have kissed already. <laughs> yeah, for sure. On purpose, not because they're in a different dimension or whatever. No, no, no. They would have kissed as part of like an undercover thing, and it would have been like. <gasps> And then they would have spent two seasons figuring out what does it mean? And one of them would have started <laughs> dating somebody else. Uh-huh. And then the other one would have been jealous. And then they break up. And the other one starts dating somebody else. And then they break up. And then in like season six, they get together. And then it's like, oh my God. And then like by season eight, they're like married and they're just figuring it out for the next two seasons. And then it's a happy ever after. And I know all of y'all listening, I have a feeling this is not going to end well. So, or at least not end well for me. So if you're listening and you know that to be true, don't tell me or I'll block you. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have, I don't think you understand the self-control it's taking to not go on a fandom wiki and look up what happens to them. Right, yeah. So. Well, the only thing I'll tell you, because I have told you before, is that none of SG-1 dies permanently. So, there's okay. at least that. But that's just such a minor <laughs> problem to have. <laughs> nobody dies permanently but 
There's a lot of room for interpretation. There's there. a lot of room for things to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you want to uh, talk about your ideas on costumes in the next episode? Yeah. So in this next episode, when they go to the other world where the touchstone is, okay. because the bulk of the episode doesn't take place there, like they walk into this temple where the touchstone was and I'm like, okay, it's the same temple that they've used before. They just move the furniture around a little bit. Right. Yeah. It's like their temple set. Mm -hmm. And then they come in in these weird like Flintstones outfits <laughs> and grass skirts. And yeah. I'm just very confused by the overall aesthetic of whatever they're going for. And then when the bulk of the episode didn't take place there, I'm like, oh, they didn't make new costumes for this. They just pulled out whatever they already had. <laughs> and, like, they took off all the shiny parts and all that. And they just kind of put them in, like, these faux skin bikinis <laughs> and grass skirts and little hats and called it a day. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the, the leader of the group. Mm -hmm. And his niece are, like, the two most prominent people we deal with. And his niece looks like a 2009-era Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah. Like, teardrops <laughs> on my guitar era. It was just <laughs> yeah. throwing me off. <laughs> that's not 2009, is it? It's I don't enough. know. It's close enough. Like, that sort of that to the whatever the next album is called. Wow. Fake fan. Fearless? Fearless. Somewhere like between self-titled album and the Fearless album, like that era of Taylor Swift, but with like brown hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she seems like she's very tall. Her uh, face, too. Yeah. Very kind face. So, that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> also, Jack wears a dress uniform in this episode. Which he does quite he a bit. Does. But well, it's puts, not. He puts on, his, it's not his dress dress uniform, it's like his. It's like semi-formal. Yeah, there's like the fatigues and then this thing and then the fancy dress uniform. Yeah, yeah. the fancy dress. I, I know there's a term for it. I have no idea what the term it's is. It's like, but yeah. I want to say it's like an A, B, and C uniform. Oh, I don't know. I think that's what it's called. Somebody out there in some sort of service is laughing at me because that's not what it is. But <laughs> he was wearing his like mid, mid range uniform, like yep, the yep. somewhat nice one, but it came with a hat. Hmm. I like the hat. <laughs> Makes him look dapper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't wear it very much, though. He mostly just holds it. I'm like, maybe you should okay. put it on. Okay, because he's holding it. Because it matters to him. <laughs> so he brought his hat. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, they, um, they want to study this touchstone that can affect the climate. And it ends up being... Uh, stolen by other people on earth who i think are a faction of the nid which we learn a lot about later okay so don't worry about it for now but they're using the other stargate right they're using the antarctic stargate that they've brought to utah so this is kind of like you remember when I we were watching the Solitudes episode when we first saw the Antarctic Gate, and I was like, "This is like opening up a new like B plot," and this is kind of what I'm talking about. How we'll we'll start to see the second Stargate pop up in random or? episodes. Uh huh. But they put an iris over it. Did they? That's so cute. I watched them do it. <laughs> That's so cute. You know that can be taken off, right? <laughs> yeah, so this is our first, like, 
hijink of the Stargate that we see. But uh, irises can come off. But yeah, anyway, at the very beginning of this episode, when Sam was talking about how she wants to go study this device, the general is like really skeptical of what this device can do. And he's basically like, do you have any proof that it does what they say it does? Or are you, have you been like taken in by the quote local voodoo? And I'm like, that's racist. That's a weird word to use. <laughs> that's real racist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I looked it up. Um, I don't know where I got A, B, and C uniform from, but they have a combat uniform, mm-hmm. a service uniform, which is mm-hmm. what they wear to the office, and a dress uniform, and that's the fancy one. Okay. Or and then full dress, I guess you put on all your ribbons and stuff. Right. Yeah. Those are the differences. So service uniform is what they've got on. Okay. When it's like the tie and the jacket. It's like for right. non-combat, like office situations. Right. Okay. Service uniform. Okay. Although for combat uniform, I feel like they have multiple. I mean, in terms of like their everyday one is like the green fatigues, but then they do also have camo and then they sometimes have like black ops gear. Yeah. But that's all like so, that, different types that of... all falls under the combat uniform. So okay. That's the stuff you wear in the field as opposed to right. like to the office. They do have a lot of variations because they also have a desert one. I'm just uh, imagining them all with these little like Barbie closets, like right? they all got like the same sets of clothes, <laughs> or like The Sims when you're setting it up and like uh-huh. everybody's got their day clothes. And yeah. Clothes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Totally. I mean, it makes it a little bit more interesting when they can change it up like that. Yeah. Jack got to wear some camo in this episode. <laughs> and it looked like it had a uh, very elastic waistband so, you know you know <laughs> Jack doesn't you want to wear button pants <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway so they go to so SG-1 is trying to ta- track down the touchstone on earth and they go to area 51 which is like this With shows like yeah, it's like this show's like meta joke about all of the alien artifacts being in Area 51. And so they talk to Colonel Mayborn, who we last saw in the episode Bane, where he was trying to take Teal'c back to a lab to be studied. This was so good. Yeah, Teal'c had the best line. He just walks up to Mayborn and is like, in my culture. I would be well within my rights to dismember you. And then just walks off. <laughs> He's like, okay. And I'm like, do it. <laughs> do it. And like Jack is smiling. And then I notice Daniel is like in the background, like snooping. <laughs> like watching this play out, like while looking at like stuff that's on the table. I'm like, what are you doing back there? <laughs> he just wants nothing to do with this. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm staying out. <laughs> Yeah, so they discover that at Area 51, the Stargate that they have there is a fake. And so they have to go find the real one. And it's at this secret base in Utah. And yet this secret base that's holding the Stargate has zero security. Like, yeah, like the gate is just open. There's nobody outside guarding it. And even when they go inside, there's only four people 
who are like milling about, you know, getting ready to prepare the Stargate for transport. And I'm like, I mean, I realize this is a secret operation, so you don't think anybody's going to find out about it, but I feel like you should have more men there <laughs> to defend it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, it was messy. Yeah. It was real messy. Like, I get not thinking you're going to be caught. Totally the standard operating procedure of every bad guy ever. But come on now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so what did you think about this whole, like, NID plot to steal the Stargate and use it to go to other planets and steal stuff? I'm frankly shocked nobody's tried this sooner. Yeah. Like... That's my biggest thing is like, oh, somebody's stealing. I'm like, okay. And then I was like, wait, I'm shocked nobody's tried this before. Why are you shocked? Because it seems obvious. I have like... zero faith in public institutions. So <laughs> I'm like. Like it seems obvious. Particularly institutions that are like, no, it's just a small exploratory mining mission. So um, it just kind of seems. Like, I'm surprised that they haven't used the Stargate to go to world, other worlds and take stuff sooner. Because when in doubt, people with colonizing abilities going to colonize. Okay, so you're surprised that specifically the Air Force in charge of the SGC is not already yeah, making it a priority to take stuff without thinking about the consequences. Yeah. Okay, okay. Shock. I'm, like, shocked that... <laughs> That, you know, Hammond, like in the last episode, Hammond was telling this to SG-1 and they actually had the opportunity to tell him not to. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, frankly, I don't, I'm surprised he told you at all. I do feel like SG-1 has a surprising amount of political power. Yeah, I think so. I think maybe because they were like the first ones through or what, but like, they have a lot of, they feel a lot more independent Mm -hmm. than their counterparts in other SG groups yeah. do. Yeah, I agree. Because the other teams are very much like, they get assignments to go on missions, and they do the thing, and they come back. And, and they don't rest. Yeah, they rest for the sanctioned number of days, and then they go out and to do the next mission. SG-1's and... like, we have morals! Right, like, they have... Where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, they... well, for one thing, they also have like the most complicated missions, of course. Of course, because they're the main characters. <laughs> yeah but i mean it does seem like you know when it comes to taking issues up with the president and trying to figure out you know what's going on with rogue elements within different civilian organizations it's like sg1 is like on top of it whereas i think in a normal situation that would not be the case that they would just be going on missions and doing the thing right yeah i'm not really sure what that says about the program as a whole that <laughs> team members have such such great power within this command but i mean i think it's realistic i think for all that organizations want to pretend that like everybody at a certain level holds the same amount of power everybody knows that's not true right that's true i think it's realistic yeah yeah i mean cuz it gets there gets to be a point where sg1 is not only the best team, you know, within the SGC, but they become famous essentially within like the gold circles and whatnot. So 
there are some times when they are requested to be somewhere just, you know, it, it, because of their inherent, you know, power and presence. Right. right. I think they also seem to me like a lot more personally involved in all of this. Like they have Teal'c with them. Mm-hmm. Who's very invested. They have Daniel with them who doesn't behave invested, but who is invested in the broader mission. Mm-hmm because of how it all came about in the first place. So, so I think that's probably got something to do with it as well. That's a good point. Yeah. Like personal stakes. SGM has greater personal stakes than any other team. Like, I think the only one who doesn't really have personal stakes in SG one is Sam. Cause she, like, she's not a Jaffa, like, or former Jaffa, like Teal'c is. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't on that first mission. Yep. Like Daniel and Jack were. So she doesn't have the same, well, I guess she's got her little half worm now, but <laughs> prior to that, she had no personal stakes in this beyond right. her loyalty to the team. So, right. That, I mean, that's a good point. That yeah, SG1 feels like they have more of a purpose in going yeah. out and, and not just going on normal missions, but also like making a difference, like making an impact outside of the SGC. Whereas the other SG teams are just doing their job. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I was thinking like, I feel like the only other team that could have had like personal stakes in it like that would have been Major Kowalski if he had survived Mm -hmm. because he was also part of that first team that went through. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, too bad that he didn't survive, but I think he probably could have been in that category too. Also like holding more like political power and such. Yeah. I wonder if any of them's gonna run for office. Don't tell me. <laughs> I think that would qualify as a spoiler. Just saying. <laughs> Do any of them want to vote to go for office though? Like that's that's a better question, maybe. What if Sam runs for president and then Jack has to start calling her Madam President? <laughs> That'd be a good pick. AO3 writers, I have a <laughs> task for you. I'd read that. I would too. <laughs> M rating, please. Thank you. <laughs> it did seem like Teal'c really enjoyed all this like skullduggery of like sneaking around, trying to figure out what happened to the Stargate, and then going on the little mission to Utah and everything. He seemed to really be enjoying himself. I wonder if these kinds of like covert ops or something Teal'c really enjoys because it's kind of reminiscent of maybe the parts of being first prime that he liked yeah like the lack of agency and choice and right the little worm and stuff not great yeah but, <laughs> but you know there's there's got to be parts of that that he enjoyed yeah or like the minute they told him that he was free to go he would have been like great i'm gonna go live on a farm <laughs> or something like yeah tilk was never gonna be a farmer no but you know like you know what i mean like he's like cool i'm gonna just collect my pension and go live somewhere else but he does it and he like chooses to stay and he seems to like like what he does so I'm wondering if this is just reminiscent of that yeah I mean it's true that as first prime he would have had the most opportunity to travel to other planets and stuff like that and see other cultures and you know so that I mean I think you're right that he probably misses that aspect of it this is as close as it gets so he'll take it yeah well I mean arguably like I mean 
way better because he still gets to, you know, explore and go on cool little covert missions and not work for gold. So, I mean, you know, perks <laughs> all over step the place. Up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it seems like both he and Daniel, I'm more like impressed with Daniel finally learning military hand signals. <laughs> Daniel finally decided he's not above it. <laughs> right. I feel like, I think Teal probably caught on really quickly because he's used to Jafar hand signals. <laughs> Daniel's just like, what? Poor Daniel. <laughs> Idiot. They still haven't given him one of the larger guns yet. He still like only ever has a handgun. <laughs> I don't think they trust him personally. <laughs> he needs more practice with it first. Yeah, they're like, uh, no way is he getting a big gun. I actually wonder if it's not so much they don't trust him with a larger gun as him personally not wanting to carry it. No, I feel like I feel like if, if it was required, they would equip everybody with as big a gun as possible. But I can also see O'Neill being like, oh, he's going to hurt himself. <laughs> in these first few seasons, yes, absolutely. But in later seasons, I wonder if it's more of like just a personal stance of, well, I'll carry a handgun in case it's you know necessary to defend my life. But I don't want to go around the galaxy toting a big gun. Maybe. I don't know. Hmm? I'm not there yet. <laughs> we can reassess as the season's gone. Yeah. <laughs> what is this quote that you wrote down for this episode? Oh, I just thought it was funny the way the guy said, it's only a matter of time before I begin to die. And I was like, it's me at the slightest inconvenience. Is that the... The old the... guy. Okay on the plane. I just thought it was funny the way he said it. <laughs> I don't remember him saying that he was going to die. It, that's the thing. is like, this doesn't wind up becoming a problem. I'm like, okay, so you're just a melodramatic old man then. <laughs> Any more thoughts on this episode? Nope. I have to redact all my thoughts because this is a family show. <laughs> Any more thoughts on the Native American representation? No, I think we, uh, you covered my thoughts on that. I couldn't decide if it's kind of icky that the spirits that they worship end up being aliens that look like white people. Ooh. I hadn't thought of that. That is icky. That's icky. Okay. I didn't know if that was me projecting. No, it's icky. I don't like okay. it. Yeah. Because they're all like white actors with the gills on their face. And then they just appear to be animals to the Salish, but, like, they're still white people. I mean, I guess, like, you could argue that the context is completely different because they're not, like, white people from Earth. But, but the casting was certainly a choice. Yeah, they could have had a more diverse casting. Yeah. Well, other than some possibly problematic representation of Native American peoples, do you think these shows... Hold up for modern audience. Problematic representation aside, yeah, I'd say so. Cool. I feel like they were like generally fun episodes. Yeah, I would agree. Anything, any final other thoughts to mention? No. Okie dokie. Okay, so next week we'll be talking about episodes 15 and 16, The Fifth Race and A Matter of Time. And you're welcome to watch along with us. And Arzu, are you ready for your next quote? I am. I am absolutely fine. There is nothing Cruvis with me. What does Cruvis mean? 
You'll find out. Yeah, look it up. <laughs> I wonder if it'll like come up easily in a search or not. Well, there's a Stargate <laughs> Omnipedia that says incorrect or wrong. Okay, let's take taking that <laughs> as my definition. I'm gonna say this is Daniel. Something has happened. Wait. No. I'm going to change it. They've gone somewhere. Mm -hmm. They've detected the worm that lives inside Teal'c. And they're saying that there's something Kruvis with him. And they're insisting on this. And they want to, like, get him help. And they want to take care of it. And he's just frustrated. And he's like, I am absolutely fine. There's nothing Kruvis with me. And the way he says it is, like, sarcastic. Like, he's just using their word back at them. And this is Jack saying it? No, Teal'c. Teal'c saying it. Yeah. Okay. Jack doesn't have a little worm living inside him. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. So that's, that's Teal'c. Okay. Teal'c. My initial okay. guess had been Daniel, but I think it's Teal'c. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Well, that's it for today. If you want to talk to us about Stargate, you can find us on our podcast Twitter and Tumblr page at Wormhole Waffles. You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Chelsea Fairless. Arzu, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Arzu Amin. I am Arzu D2 on Instagram, Tumblr, Hive, if any of those are things. I keep saying Hive like people actually use it. I don't use it, but I'm there. I, I haven't logged in I haven't, in at least I haven't a month. In quite some time, but yeah. I have the account. It's there. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm there. You can find us as a network at geeky underscore waffle on Twitter. We are the Geeky Waffle on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Tumblr. And we are at thegeekywaffle.com. Also, if you like what you hear and you want to rate and review on your listening location of choice, we would appreciate that. So thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you on the other side of the event horizon.